Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 17. We're going to read some verses from the uh, same chapter that uh, we heard from earlier during our time of call to confession and uh, prayer time and silent confession time. So we will take a look at John, chapter 17. That's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And again, we are continuing our series through Transforming Principles for God's grace, for living in God's grace this fall. And we looked a few weeks ago at the idea of just grasping grace, kind of understanding some of what that is about. We looked last week at the idea of faith in action, some of what it looks like to carry out our faith, not just as something we believe, but that we put into practice. And this week, we want to talk about this theme of truth in teaching, a core value that we're committed to as a church and that we hope and are praying would be something that marks each one of our lives individually as well. And as we turn to this passage, as Todd mentioned earlier, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's a prayer that he offers up for believers back at his time and all throughout the centuries. And so it gives us a glimpse into what he really desires to see happen in our lives. So as we read these verses, as you all stand with me, and you can go ahead and stand, and I read aloud, let's meditate on what it looks like to receive God's revealed word as truth that informs our life individually, as families, as a church, even in our community, even around the world. And I'll just be reading uh, verses 6 to 8, and then 14 through 17. And you read along with me silently, if you would. I have manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Jesus is praying to his Father about us believers. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Jump into verse 14. I've given them your word. And the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. But that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You may be seated. And as you do let me pray once again. Father, we are so thankful for your word. We continue to ask that you'd minister to us. We pray now as we meditate on your word that you'd teach us about your word and the way it can transform our lives each day and on into eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in 2008, Bernie Madoff confessed what was perhaps the financial understatement of that entire decade, that his investment firm was, quote, just one big lie. This was after over $50 billion had been swindled through this scheme that he had prepared and actually duped a lot of pretty knowledgeable financial minds. And it was particularly shocking to the world at the time because Madoff himself had been one of the directors on the board of the NASDAQ Stock Exchange and a respected financial mind 
of his own. Truth is hard to come by. Or take the example of Anna Anderson, who claimed to be Anastasia, the youngest daughter of the Russian royal family that had in the Russian Revolution in 1918 been executed, but speculation was that some maybe survived. Anna Anderson was among others who made this claim, but she started out pretty early on in 1920 saying that that's who she was. And some credibility was lent to it because she looked and resembled the family and even remembered some of the details of the royal life of the Russian royal family. Some other extended members of the family added fuel to the situation when they thought that also perhaps she was the young surviving princess. Although many questioned her status, she maintained this claim all the way to her death, fought numerous legal battles until she passed away in 1984. Not long ago, they were able to do DNA testing on her and on the remains of the Russian royal family and discovered her story was completely false. Truth is hard to come by. Or what about paleontologist Arthur Woodward, who promoted and advanced the theory of Piltdown Man to support the theory of evolution with this uh, figure that was uncovered or fragments of him in 1910 in England, and he too perpetuated this for years until it was revealed that in fact, the bones they had discovered were those of an orangutan that was not tens of thousands of years old, but about 600 years old and had been intentionally modified to appear human. Truth is hard to come by. I've touched on the financial, the historical, even the scientific Hardly need to mention more than the names Nixon and Clinton to cover the political. Truth is tough to find. And so it's an incredible blessing when someone speaks to us and speaks truth to us in all cases, speaks it about the most important matters of life, and speaks about things that we can't learn about or find out about any other place. And this, of course, is what the Scriptures tell us we're receiving here as we open this book. Second Timothy supports some of what we just read about in John. And you don't need to turn there, but Second Timothy 3.16 where it says that all of Scripture is God-breathed. It's coming out with the air, just like right now words are coming out of my mouth with air. In the same fashion, God's Word is coming forth from His mouth to us. That Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, correcting, training in righteousness so that the man of God would be thoroughly equipped. Psalm 119 in the Old Testament praises particularly God's commands, that part of His Word 
We won't read all of it since it's like 170-some verses, but we will read a couple. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimony I delight as with all riches. I meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Book of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 tells us that God's word is in fact living and active. It's at work in the world and in our lives. And Jesus in Matthew 5 reminds us in reference to the Old Testament that he didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And he even goes further and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, put a note right here, exclamation point, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest little iota, not the tiniest little dot will pass away until the law is accomplished. Just a smattering of verses we could list a ton more that remind us of this fundamental truth, and you can find it in the back of your worship guide if you want to follow along with the notes section, that if we want to grow spiritually, we'll sink deep roots in the truth that's revealed in the Bible. And it raises this question for us this morning of why we don't really do that. I don't do that as much as I should or really even intend to or desire to. Why is that? Why aren't we people of truth in the way that we know the Lord desires for us to be? And the first one is certainly the reality that we struggle to believe God's Word as truth. Many around us assail the Bible and the biblical message And, of course, you don't have to watch the latest Discovery Channel episode about the new findings of Jesus or hear from that college professor that ripped the Bible to shreds during your college years or hear the opinions of whatever famous people have speculations today to have some disbelief, some unbelief creep in specifically about the veracity of the Bible But we do well, each one of us, to remember that wasn't it right at the beginning with Adam and Eve? Evil one came to them. And one of the fundamental things he challenged them with was, has God really said? There's nothing new under the sun with our struggle to believe and the world's struggle to believe the Bible. But it goes beyond that, doesn't it? Even if we grab hold of the Scriptures and we say, yeah, I do believe this. I believe it's God's truth. We don't have a whole lot of it in our mind, or at least not as much as we uh, know we could or should. We don't retain it. We don't receive it. We don't keep it. And there's a challenge there. But beyond that, Jesus reminds us that it's not just about believing or learning the Bible but that he's greatly concerned that we would do what the Bible says. And I've mentioned in the past one of my favorite shorter catechism questions, and I don't have a lot of favorites in the shorter catechism or read it every day, but there's number 90. 
which asks this question about how we should receive God's word, his truth, so that it works in our lives. And it says three things off the bat. It says we should pay attention to it with diligence, with preparation, and with prayer. And then we should receive it with faith, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. That's a beautiful statement of how God desires for His truth to sanctify us as we read in our John passage. Can you all hear me in the back? Wave back there. If you can hear me, okay. All right. I'm going to keep the volume up. I'm taking the jacket off because it's requiring extra energy to project. Here we go. Adventures. Adventures. You know, this brings to my mind one of the most uh, difficult questions for us, and that is, okay, I understand I'm supposed to believe the Bible, I'm supposed to be getting it in my mind, and I'm supposed to do what it says, but honestly, it all seems like a bunch of circular reasoning that maybe other spiritual people have written a long time ago or recently, but they kind of claim to speak for God. Why should I believe this one? Why should I bank on it and build my life around the truth here? And I've shared before in the past, I know, but I I think it's so powerful for us to remember this huge question of whether a person would die for a lie. People sometimes do, don't they? But would a person die for a lie that they know is a lie and they have no opportunity to profit or benefit from? That's an important question for us. Because when we read about the disciples and the history of those followers of Jesus, and we learn from history outside of the Scriptures that they died, so many of them, giving their lives, the majority of His disciples, for what they believed in, it's a huge testimony to us that we ought to really pay close attention to this message. Because if it was all false, it was all something they were just creating, How would they possibly, all of them, be willing to go to their death for that truth? As we keep this in mind, we come to a passage that I think will be really helpful for us to kind of get some nuts and bolts to this. And that's in Matthew chapter 7. And you can turn there if you've got a Bible handy. Matthew chapter 7, where... Jesus is finishing up what is called the Sermon on the Mount, this wonderful proclamation of what it looks like to be a part of his kingdom. And he comes to the conclusion, and he says these important words, Matthew 7, verse 24 to 27. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell and the Floods came and blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man, built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. It's interesting when you think about the proposition of building on sand. And I've touched on this, I'm sure, in the past as well. 
you know, you get some sand packed down pretty good and kind of pushed all together. And if you don't look too closely at it or study the details of it structurally, you might think, hey, I can put a pretty decent house on this. Some nice flooring, save a little money. I didn't have to spend as much on some good ground. So I can improve the cabinets and the crown molding and make this nice looking place. Jesus says, when we're doing that spiritually, we're trying to build our lives on something else besides His Word, the truth it reveals about Jesus dying, paying the price for us, the truth it reveals about how we're to live, about daily life. If we do that, we're building our house on something that's passing away. And the contrast is impressive too. Because you think about what Jesus says about building our house on the rock. Why, why do we need a rock to build our lives upon? Without the rock of Scripture, what, what answers do we have to our purpose and meaning in life? Where can we really draw any sort of solid moral framework beyond just the opinions of this or that passing culture? How, how can we know, really, forgiveness and freedom from the guilt we experience? How can we understand and have assurance of life beyond this one with the Lord? All of those things can only come to us through the rock, through the foundation of God's Word. Think about, as well, the beauty of God's Word to allow us, as this passage talks about, to weather the storms. Think about the storms that you and I face in life and how beautiful it is to be able to stand up or at least maintain uh, going forward through the midst of them, even in the midst of great difficulty. It might just be the storm of strong temptation coming into our lives. It might be the swirling winds of the idols of success and personal comfort and personal image. It might be the tempests of coveting, of gossiping, of jealousy. It might be the tornado of marriage or parenting struggles that comes through. It might be the downpour of a loss of a loved one or a serious diagnosis or loss. And certainly, as we're building on the rock... We've got the privilege of being able to look at the coming storm. That coming storm that's a far ways off perhaps or maybe today of God's righteous and holy judgment and return into this world. If our lives are built on the rock, we have that sure foundation in the midst of it. And that's why as a church, I hope we'd always be marked long after I'm gone and you all here sitting here are have come and gone that our children and our grandchildren would say we love the truth we want our lives to be built around it and we want each and every area of ministry to be shaped by it you know I did something this week that I haven't done in 22 years of driving I've mentioned in the past probably to some of you that the uh, Tahoe that I've got, that I got used, by the way, the dents were in it before I got it. I'm not that crazy a driver. But the gauge, the gas gauge, 
is rather unreliable in the vehicle. When I say that, what I mean is that it has been working intermittently. Sometimes shows the actual reading, sometimes shows empty. And you know, it's uh, problematic to have one that's working intermittently, but lately it's been working more intermittently. And it's a bad thing to have a gauge that's kind of unreliable. It's a bad thing to have a gauge that you think is showing you something and you're really on empty. And so this week on Thursday, as I was making my rounds to different meetings, I had in my mind that it seemed like it had been a while since I'd gotten any gas. But surely that gauge will flip back over and show me. It doesn't seem like it had been that long. And I, I drove along, and maybe it's like you, you. You see a gas station, but it's a little off in the distance. Efficiency is a big thing for me. All right turns everywhere I go. I plan it out. And it, they were off that way, or they were over here back in this shopping center. And I thought, I'm not going to take time to pull aside for that. I'll get it later. And ended up down to visit the seawalls who we prayed about earlier, had their baby, summer joy, walked out of there, fill of joy, I love it, go to see the baby and get out into the St. Vincent's parking garage and thought to myself, well, I probably need to try to get some gas. The only problem is they don't have a gas station in the midst of the exit lane going out of the entire St. Vincent's parking garage because that's right where I ran completely out of gas. And as I got out of the car and the honks, people honking behind me at me and so forth, and I gave the international, I'm out of gas sign, you know, that thing. Uh, Pushed that big vehicle, some guy helped me, the gas guzzler's not easy to shove and got it out of the way. You're not going to believe this. But I looked up, and standing before me with a wry smile on his face was my former boss and pastor, Bill Hay, from Covenant church who himself was just coming out of the hospital visiting someone and I said Bill I said Bill I see you smiling at me Bill you've always reminded me a lot of Bob Newhart not so much of an angel but I'm going to give you credit as being the latter today and by the way can you give me a ride to go and pick up some gas off we went grabbed that little red gas tank from the surprisingly helpful folks at the University Boulevard BP station. I commend them to you. Brought it back over, dumped every little drop back into that tank, and fired up the vehicle. I had some other meetings I needed to get to that I was now 25 minutes late to. But guess where I headed right off the bat? Right back to the BP. Filled that thing up with every ounce of gas that could possibly be loaded in there. And I hope you all see the comparison for our spiritual lives. It's one thing to have a gauge that's off. That's a, pro- that's a serious problem. To not be able to assess spiritual realities, to not be able to know and gauge what is true and what we should believe and receive, or how we should live our lives. That's a huge issue. But it's an even more serious one to be out of gas. To not have fuel in the tank to propel us forward. And I'm like this throughout my week. It doesn't seem like it's convenient to get over there and get some time to read the Scriptures or meditate on the Bible. It doesn't doesn't seem like that's a good location to have to make a left turn and get into where that prayer time 
of thinking about God's Word would be. The Scriptures tell us that they're truth. What, what would it look like if throughout our day we, we realized, wow, I, I think I'm running out of gas spiritually. And we had that gauge begin to start working for us. What would it look like if on Sunday, on Saturday night, we looked at Sunday morning and said, you know, I really probably haven't even noticed it for a couple of days. But I'm about to run out of fuel. I need to have God's Word. I need to get to Sunday school. I need to get to worship service. And I'm ready to get there because I need it just like I was coming out of the parking garage. Not the attitude that I know I often have, the one I had going in to the parking garage. I'll fill it up later. I'll worry about it later. And one other thing that happens when we've got the gauge oriented through God's Word and we've got the tank at least beginning to have something flowing into it through studying and meditating on the work of God in the Scriptures, somebody else comes along. Their tank's out of gas. We can drive them to go get some. Better than that, take out a hose if we need to and siphon some out of our tank to get them headed on their way. Let's pray. Father, we praise You for Your Word. We praise You. You haven't left us in darkness, but You are the God who reveals Himself to us. And Lord, we ask that You would, in those places of disbelief in our hearts, assure up our understanding of the veracity of Your truth, the reliability of it. Father, we pray that we would take it in. We put ourselves in the way of the streams of grace that come through hearing and meditating on and sharing and talking about Your Word. And that we delight to do so, Lord. That we delight to do so that we might drive with a full tank. That we might be rooted deeply in You. That we might be building our lives on the rock of Your Word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.